You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to First Bite, the Pride of Detroit preview podcast where we preview the Detroit Lions' next upcoming game. It is week 13. The Lions, well, they're 4-7, they're and seven, and I think we all know that by now. And at this point, we're just kind of waiting for the season to boil down. Um, playoff hopes are below 1% at this point, so even you optimists are probably not tuning in to this podcast hoping to hear a lot about a playoff run and don't worry we're not going to talk much about it especially with this week's opponent uh the lines are going to be hosting the los angeles rams the 10 and 1 los angeles Rams. so we're going to go ahead and, and preview the game talk about some things that we'll be watching for as lions fans maybe some things to to expect from the rams as always we're going to bring in an opponent's point of view but before we get into that let me introduce our co-host with the most host ryan matthews how's it going tonight uh, it's going. It is going. It is week 13. Yep. And five more left I, of these. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I was I was asking what week it was because I want to know how many more of these. But I'm super happy to be back on First Bite because at least we're here to talk about a good football team. Yeah. And this is actually, I didn't, I forgot to, to mention, this is our first First Bite in a couple of weeks because Thanksgiving last week, we wanted to pretend to be with our parents or family or whoever we spend Thanksgiving with. Uh, but we're back. We're ready to to tackle on this daunting week 13 matchup with the Los Angeles Lambs. So we brought in from Turf Show Times managing editor, Joseph McAtee. Joseph, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. What's up, guys? That's a, that's a very timid response uh not too much man uh how are you i said doing? i'm good how- what's oh, going on here no, sorry <laughs> God. uh well yeah let's let's just jump right into it let's talk a lot of rams because i think a lot of lions fans look at this rams team and are extremely jealous at how quickly they turn things around meanwhile the lions have their first time head coach and things aren't going nearly as well joseph just how how much whiplash do you have for how quickly this, this team turned around and, and what are your expectations in the immediate now that uh, Sean McVay's in his second year? Yeah, I think, I think the thing about the whiplash wasn't just that they got it turned around. I think it was how extreme the turnaround was when, when you go back to 2016, that last season under Jeff Fisher, it wasn't that the Rams <clears throat> were a bad team or that they had a bad offense. They had one of the worst offenses we've ever seen historically. Right. It was one of the worst, I think football outsiders had it in the, top five of the worst offenses we've seen of the last 30 years. So to go from one of the worst to the next season, one of the best with so much of the same personnel, we just haven't seen that really ever. We've never seen 
that kind of uh, extreme turnaround uh, to that degree. And so the whiplash was pretty severe, but I think most of it was last year. By the end of last year, the Rams had kind of solidified this idea of, okay, it's not flukish. It's not, you know, something that's going to be easy for teams to scheme against. This is going to be an offense that uh, is going to grow into one of the the league's better units. And it has uh, over the last uh, year and a half. And, you know, obviously we're going to have to see what happens to the Rams coming out of the bye. But going into the bye on that Monday night football game against the Chiefs, it was pretty clear that uh, those are two of the best offenses, maybe the best teams in the NFL. So overall, whiplash has been pretty severe. I think the key is going into this year, especially with the name recognition draws that the Rams picked up uh, most by trade, Marcus Peters, Aqib Talib, and Brandon Cooks at wide receiver, and then adding Indomic and Sue in free agency. A lot of Rams fans went into this knowing that this season was going to be judged by what happens in the postseason. And that's where we're at now at 10 and 1. Uh, I think people are just excited to uh, finish the season strong and see what kind of a seed we can get. We lost the game to the New Orleans Saints earlier in the year, so they're going to hold a tiebreaker over us if we finish with the same record. Otherwise, uh, the Rams are trying to get that first round by and put together the first postseason run in a decade and a half. Yeah, and and you bring up a good point, too, about this offseason and how aggressive the front office was. Um, is that something that you're used to seeing out of this Rams franchise? And, and what do you think was the, the reason there was such a big change and such a big push just for you know this year? Is it just because Goff is still on that rookie contract? Or is this just what you're going to expect out of this Rams team now, just going all in every offseason to, to do whatever they can to, to make the Super Bowl the next year? Yeah, I think it was a combination of Goff and Aaron Donald, both on their rookie mm-hmm. contracts and the savings that afforded them. And also the fact that they've drafted well. If you go back to when Les Snead took over as general manager in 2012, the same year that Jeff Fisher became head coach, they went in that year handed a core. You don't get a lot of teams that were as bad as the Rams were prior to Jeff Fisher that then hand over a core. At the time, they had Sam Bradford, your starting quarterback, Roger Saffold, a starting offensive lineman. You had Steven Jackson at running back. You had Danny Amendola at wide receiver. On defense, you had Chris Long, Robert Quinn, James Laurinaitis. You, you had a ton of talent on that team that Jeff Fisher got immediately handed. <clears throat> and then they backed that up with the RG3 trade and immediately had three extra first-round picks that they were going to be be able to fold into the team and a bunch of extra second rounders that first year too so they had a core they added all this talent they were set up to win and in the fact that they didn't doesn't really come down to the talent on the roster it just came down to the culture and the the capabilities of the coaching staff so by the time you get to 2017 and you get a coach obviously we didn't know what kind of a coach sean mcveigh was going to be given his inexperience but the roster was set up to be able to give less need that opportunity to be as aggressive as he's been he's always been aggressive in terms of trades but it's usually been draft picks and just kind of working some magic on draft day. It's never been what we've seen the last two years in terms of going after guys like Sammy Watkins and then obviously what he pulled off this last offseason. Ryan, you got a question? Um, yeah, I, I think from from a defensive standpoint, like I, I want to know a little bit more about Wade Phillips and like what he has kind of been able to do like on a, on a macro level before we get into matchups and everything. Like what – what type of, and I know the Rams have had, you know, they've, they've had this influx of talent, like you've talked about, adding Ndamukong Sue, um, Dante, Flop, or Dante Fowler recently at the, at the trade deadline, but, you know, adding some new corners in the offseason like Peters and, and Aqib Tlaib. Like, what has, what has Wade Phillips been able to do, and has there been, like, a market improvement in, like, the, the Rams' defense? 
So the answer is really no. Um, but the Rams always had a pretty strong defense under Jeff Fisher, and they always had a lot of talent. You had Aaron Donald and historically some strength from the edge rushers, guys like Chris Long and Robert Quinn. And then they had a pair of the better backups in the NFL and Eugene Sims and William Hayes. But what's been interesting about Wade Phillips' defenses and even this year with the big-name acquisitions is – Uh, there was always a problem with the rush defense. They haven't really been able to improve that. They didn't make a ton of functional improvements to the linebackers this year. They drafted a bunch of names, but most of them were day three guys and UDFAs that they were trying to work through to provide some talent. And nobody has really been able to step up and make a better improvement on what they had last year with Mark Barron and Alec Ogletree, who was miscast as a three, four inside linebacker. The bigger problem that's added to that is uh, the Rams traded away Robert Quinn to the Miami Dolphins in the offseason. He's kind of at the end of his career some injuries depleted him of what should have been a longer peak of his career and then they let Connor Barwin go into free agency he wasn't uh, necessarily a, a core piece but what that meant was they went into the season with new edge rushers and the truth is between Matt Longacre and Samson Ebukam and now Dante Fowler who has impressed to a degree but certainly given his pedigree isn't maybe the rusher uh, fans of his would have hoped coming out of Florida is that the Rams just don't have great edge pressure uh, in the past and so as good as Aaron Donald is and he's quite good uh, he's very, 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 very good. Uh, the, the truth is the Rams just don't have great edge rush. And so because of that, they're pretty isolated in what they can do. Um, they've struggled to contain deep coverage. Uh, Marcus Peters has, you know, been playing through a calf strain and uh, somewhat professionally took on the brunt of the blame for having to struggle through that, especially with Aqib Tlaib out on injured reserve. He'll come back this week. Uh, Sean McVay uh, uh, reiterated today that everything he's seeing suggests that he's going to be healthy going into this week, so it'll be the first time we've seen him since week three. Uh, but it hasn't been the kind of defense with the name recognition that you have for a lot of these guys and the fact that Wade Phillips is a pretty well-known commodity as a defensive coordinator. It's really not a great defense by any means. I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into that because we all we're all aware of how good the Rams' offense is. Um, I, I think it kind of makes sense to me based on what you just said that the Rams aren't defending the pass very well because they're kind of lacking that edge threat and because they've suffered through some injuries with Talib and and the rest of their secondary is just kind of so so. But what confuses me, looking on at least on the surface, is this Rams' run defense. They're they're giving up five point two yards per carry. And, you know, just you think about having Donald and Sue right in the middle of that defensive line. How are teams getting by those two? How is that happening? Yeah, I think you'd have to say that in between Indomitian and Sue and Michael Brockers, I don't think they've had a very good season alongside Aaron Donald. Uh, you'd say that, first of all. Second, the talent level at the linebacker position just isn't very strong. Yeah. Mark Barron and Corey Littleton have manned the inside linebacker positions for most of the year, and neither of them are just downhill thumpers. You know, Mark Barron's a converted safety. He's talented for what he does, and he's a plus in pass coverage there when you drop back into zone on longer third downs. But as a run defender, he's just not the physical kind of guy that's really going to overpower uh, offensive lines and fill gaps the way that a lot of stronger, bigger uh, linebackers do. And so the the big thing that you've got, especially when you talk about Aaron Donald, because he's kind of unstoppable, is you've got three things going on that that expose how limited he is in run defense. One is teams double team him constantly. He's double, double teamed about 75 percent of snaps. Um I wouldn't be surprised if that number's higher on Sunday. There's just there's not a good way to deal with them, but obviously one of the best things you can do is at least try to block them with two guys. So that's number one. Number two is uh, because he's so good, a lot of times he overpenetrates on the run. He gets too deep towards the handoff that by the time the handoff 
gets executed that he's too deep and it's easier to go around him than it would be if he kind of stayed put but without knowing whether it's a play action or some of the kind of miss uh, uh directed runs that you see and miss uh, the the kind of disguise that you get on a lot of runs sometimes you just want Aaron to get up in there and make as much disruption as he can but the third is teams a lot of times just run away from him you get a lot of outside runs and run a lot of stuff uh, you know between the guard and the tackle uh, in the B gap and even on the outside where Aaron Donald, there's just no way to get out there because he's an inside uh, defensive lineman. And it kind of limits the effect that he can have. And the truth is the guys around Aaron Donald just haven't been good enough in the run. Uh, and it's been easily our biggest liability going back to last year. It's fun to talk about the liabilities of a team that's 10 and one. I think it's fun <laughs> to talk about Aaron Donald, but you know, <laughs> I think, I think the people listening to our podcast primarily are going to be less, thrilled to hear about how great Aaron Donald is because um because yeah how how long how long are y'all gonna feel bad about it? I mean I know that's a big thing between Detroit Lions fans is the whole Eric E run to Aaron Donald thing how long does that last is it still going uh, it's, yeah I mean, it's gonna until, last until Aaron Donald retires <laughs> uh, no not even that up until he has a shrine in, in the hall of fame yeah. after that we can finally forget about it. and I don't know if you saw this week there was a new story basically talking about our defensive line coach banging the table for Aaron Donald, but our tight ends coach saying, no, we like Eric Ebron and our our general manager, Martin Mayhew going. Yeah, I think you're right. The great thing is remember the Rams passed on Aaron Donald too. Remember we had the number two pick. That was the last of the RG three picks. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had the number two overall pick because of Washington that year and spent it on a guy that you guys ultimately traded with us for was Greg Robinson. Hey, can you keep on kicking us while we're down? (laughs) Well, remember, we were the one who drafted him and made him our franchise left tackle for three years. So at least y'all had less of him than we did. Yeah, well, then you turned him into a six-round pick. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. (laughs) Gracias. Okay, one thing, staying on the run defense really quick, how come other teams aren't taking advantage of this and just keeping the Rams' offense off the field by running up 200 yards on them? How is that not a successful formula against... Rams team with so little deficiencies why aren't teams attacking this and taking advantage I think the Rams just score too many points it's I mean it's it's a good game plan but it's hard to really stick to when you're down 20 to 7 in the second quarter once you know once you get into the third quarter if you can be that patient we've seen teams try it the Seattle Seahawks had some uh, success with it Uh, Denver tried to parlay and got pretty close with it and uh, even in the Packers game, they were having a really good game and got away from the run and their fans were really upset because, which is strange to say when you got Aaron Rodgers, but that's kind of how weird this season's been with the Rams and kind of to a degree, I'm sure you guys enjoy this, how weird that season's been for the Packers. Uh, but you know, that, that really is the biggest deficiency. And especially because for, for all the deficiencies in the passing game, the Rams have some big splash, splash plays. They can get Aaron Donald to the quarterback. They're very aggressive with their secondary so they can get interceptions. And even if you watch that Rams chiefs game, as many times as they gave up points, they got you know two defensive touchdowns. They were making huge plays on defense, and uh, it, it, they, they can do some things in the passing game that they just can't do in the run game, especially when it comes to turnovers and interceptions versus you know crashing in on the run and and getting people off of the field that way. So I, I don't know why teams aren't going to that more. I'd expect it's just mainly the score and the fact that once you get into the second half, teams get a little bit desperate to pass the ball. But it's you know if you're looking at the easiest way to beat the Rams, it's going to start with the success you can have on offense on the ground. All right, I suppose before we go to break, we should talk about the Rams' offense as much as I don't want to. Um, Ryan, do you have a question? I, I don't I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I was going to say real quick, though, like, I mean, if, if we could create a meme out of this uh, conversation we've had so far, you know, the black, the black arm, the white arm, you know, 
clasping hands. We we can definitely bond over the Packers being bad. So uh, <laughs> that is uh, that is who we are right now. So, uh, but as far as the Rams offense goes, um, would you be opposed to letting us have Shane Waldron? <laughs> The answer is no, because, you know, the Rams offensive coordinator last year, Matt LaFleur, already left for the Titans. And I think, you know, oh no, Sean, Sean McVay is in charge of the offense. And so he's cultivating a staff, you know, that, that don't get me wrong. I think Shane Waldron's been a, a fine coordinate, co-coordinator this year. And uh, given what he's done with the tight ends over the last two years and the fact that Sean McVay was a tight ends coach with Washington before he became an offensive coordinator, you know, I think Shane Waldron's had a lot to learn the last two years. But, you know, the Rams offense is in a position where losing one or two coaches this last season clearly hasn't hindered them. And as much as I respect Shane Waldron, you got to think that the Rams would be fine moving on from one coach or two again next year and finding talented guys that can come in and replace them and keep things going. So, you know, I, if that's who you guys think is going to be able to, you know, fill in for Cooter and, and figure out things, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to su- support you guys with him. Okay, so let me – so, like, that was the beginning of negotiations, and I was hoping that you are going to say no, and then I was going to say, well, what about Sean McVay? Would you mind us having him for a little while? Absolutely not. You can go, okay. you can go to hell. Is okay. what you <laughs> no, it, it's one of those things. McVay is the guy. And the thing that's right. weird about yeah. Sean McVay isn't that he's a talented play caller or that, you know, that, that he's got these weapons at his disposal and he's figured out what to do with them really quickly. The thing that people forget is just how inexperienced he is, not his age, not the fact that he's a young coach. It's how inexperienced experienced he is this is a guy that you know went off to the tuskers with uh john gruden and then came over to washington almost as like an intern and within three years was the offensive coordinator and wasn't calling plays right at first his first year's offense coordinator didn't even call plays two years of calling plays and then the next year he's already the head coach of the rams and so it's it's not just that he's young it's that he's incredibly inexperienced and despite that with all the kind of challenges that he's getting thrown whether it's football challenges or head coaching personality challenges or even the kind of things off the field i don't know i'm I'm sure you guys have seen a little bit what's been going on in los angeles the last month between the shooting in thousand oaks and then the fires in southern california the rams have done a great job especially having just moved back a couple years ago galvanizing the local community with support and sean McVay hasn't missed a step he's always capable of saying the right thing and doing the right thing and it's one of those things you don't see a lot of young coaches do all that stuff well let alone more experienced coaches uh i don't know if you guys saw what's going on with washington and a certain player they signed but they're not saying the right things that's the kind of thing that sean McVay is doing and it's it's one of those things that you forget you lose sight of that uh for a guy as young and as inexperienced as he is he's just hitting the ball out of the park every time Oh, we're, we're, we're entirely familiar with people not doing the prerequisite work before hiring somebody, but. (laughs) And also, I mean, it's just, it's hard not to get super jealous because you're talking about a first time inexperienced head coach doing all the right things with the media, doing all the right things on the field, yet, yet being extremely new at all this. And we're stuck here with Matt Patricia, who's you know, become very adversarial with the media doesn't seem to be saying the right things. Doesn't seem to be necessarily getting the team on track right away. Doesn't seem to have that, you know, brilliant mind that has him rise up the ranks as quickly as, as McVeigh did. And, and, and also what you're saying about McVeigh also sounds a lot like the Patriots tree or is like, sure. people are just going to continue to pluck from it and to, to mixed results and the Rams are just going to hum along because they got the right guy at the top. 
If it makes you feel better, we had Jeff Fisher as our head coach for five years, and he also put a pencil in his ear, but I don't mean that he put it behind his ear. He would literally jam a pencil into his <laughs> ear hole. So, you know, different kind of thing there. All right. Uh, we're going to close up this first segment. Uh, when we get when we come back, we're going to talk matchups. We're going to talk about the real nitty-gritty, talk a little bit about the Lions and what they can do uh, against this Rams team or probably more likely what they can't do against this Rams team. So stick around. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back with First Bite talking Lions-Rams week 13 in 2018 season. We're here with Ryan Matthews, as always, and Joseph McAtee from Turf Show Times. Uh, let's get into the game. Let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen on Sunday, what we think is going to happen. Um, let's start. Let's try to be optimistic here and, and talk about the Lions offense and how it matches up against this Rams defense. We already talked a little bit about how this Rams defense is a little bit vulnerable on the ground. And I don't really know what to think of the Lions run game right now because obviously it looks like Karen Johnson's not going to play, um, going to miss a second straight game. And last week I, I thought that spelled doom and gloom against one of the best run defenses in the league in the Chicago Bears. And then LeGarrette Blunt goes out and has the game of his, I don't want to say the game of his career, but it's certainly the game of his Lions career. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Ryan. Do you think, that lightning could be, you know, lightning lightning could strike twice with Legarrette Blunt, or was that just kind of a flash in the pan for, you know, maybe one last good game before Legarrette rides off into the sunset? Uh, I think we're going to get a lot more Legarrette Blunt than than we had probably anticipated, even going into the Chicago game for maybe even the rest of the season. I I just don't see how the Lions shut down Marvin Jones when it's their season seemingly comes to an end and. I don't really anticipate the Lions bringing back Carryon Johnson, um, and and I mean personally, I, I don't see the the point in bringing him back. We talked about that on the podcast this week, but this might be the case where maybe the situation, um, the matchup, kind of spells a little bit positively for another another nice day from Legarrette Blunt. Because here's the thing, too, like I I think there is something to the fact that once Legarrette Blunt got the bulk of the carries and was maybe maybe able to establish a bit of a rhythm rather than mm-hmm. only getting like two, three, maybe four carries in a game that he was able to finally break out because this was something where, you know, LeGarrette Blunt really didn't tee off until later in the game on, uh, on Thanksgiving day against Chicago. Right. And I think with this matchup with the Rams, I, I think that it presents an opportunity at least, um, and I think one of those opportunities is for Ndamukong Sue to maybe have his way with a carrot blunt after his, after backing up his comments about saying that he's a dirty player, which, uh, which is going to be one of the more intriguing, like player dynamics, I think on Sunday that we can look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And these two actually have a little bit of a history beyond just that quote. Um, I was watching a clip from, from back in Sue's Miami's day, Miami days when LeGarrette Blunt literally ripped his helmet off after a play. So I, I am kind of interesting and interested in the personal dynamic between those two. Um, Joseph, uh, how do you see this matchup playing out? Do you think LeGarrette Blunt has, uh, has a chance to, to kind of replicate his, his success from last week? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it, it really comes down to the first half, right, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of making sure that you guys use them. Because like we talked about, it, it, I'd be shocked if the Rams don't score a bunch of points in the four, first half. So it, right. if you guys can stick with the points and stick with the running game, there's no reason why Blunt can't rack up the stats. I think the bigger question is going to be, Getting a keep to lead back, how does this pass defense look, given that the last time the Rams were out there, they uh, gave up, what, 51 points to the Chiefs? And I get it, the Chiefs' offense isn't y'all's offense, but nonetheless, um, it's quite obviously a, a defense that can be picked apart in different ways, starting with the run. So, yeah, there's no question in my mind that Blunt could have a monster day. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, kind of putting all of the observations together here. Considering, you know, Ryan mentioned it took a while for LeGarrette Blunt to get going, the Lions aren't going to be able to to have that warm-up time, that warm-up half, because uh, I think we can all agree that Chase Daniel, probably not quite as good as Jared Goff and the Rams offense. So if it takes a half for, for LeGarrette Blunt to get warmed up, he's not going to get a chance to get warmed up because this team might be behind by three scores by then. Uh, but let, let's fl- flip it over to the pass offense against the, the Rams' pass defense because we saw quite a different pass offense from this Lions team last week knowing that they had a guy like Khalil Mack coming after Stafford they basically forego forewent any any routes longer than 10 yards and just dinked and dunked as much as they could part of that obviously has to do with not having Golden Tate not having Marvin Jones same situation this week uh Ryan do you think the Lions are going to open it up a little bit in, in this situation do they have to against the Rams team or or are they going to kind of be stubborn and, and try to just work out long possessions to try to keep that Rams offense off the field. I I think we saw that on Thanksgiving day, like even though the lions were in that game and and we talked about, and you specifically mentioned Jeremy, that that was probably the best game that they've played since the Miami game. The limitations of their offense without having a guy who can make a lot happen after the play in the same way that golden Tate um, once was able to, I think that this Lions offense, like they, they have to be able to will or, you know, they have to be able to, and they have to be willing to open up the passing game a little bit and, and hope that some of these deeper routes can develop. But at the same time, you're not trying to get your franchise quarterback absolutely mauled. Right. I, I think without TJ Lang um, with Kenny Wiggins in there, who admittedly didn't have like a, a terror bad game, but at the same time, I you're just not going to be afforded that luxury because when the lions have really struggled, I think this season it's when teams have had an interior pass rush. And I don't know if you're going against, yeah, I don't know if you've gone against quite a formidable opponent, quite like the, the Rams had. So, so Joseph, like, I, I mean, we know who Aaron Donald is as like, you know, all pro, maybe the best player in football, like regardless of position, um, but more so speak to like Nadamakan Sue and everybody thought that this was just basically like turning off fair trades and Madden and, you know, <laughs> the Rams ending up with, you know, the Rams ending up with Sue turning off the salary cap because seemingly the Rams have infinite monies, but like, has, has that interior pass rush like made such a clear difference, like versus the, the Rams team from, from yesteryear. And, and do you see them being able to kind of have their way um, with the lions front? Because, I mean, they have a rookie up there, too, with Frank Ragnow. So, I mean, it's, it's, we saw how Frank Ragnow struggled against Gerald McCoy in the, in the preseason. I know we've come a long way since then, but, like, what are the Rams going to be able to do? Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes in terms of yeah. whether or not there's confidence, right? And it, the thing is, it, it, 
when you're playing guys like Pat Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, what we've seen a lot of times is that the best thing Aaron Donald and Dominic and Sue can do is flush those guys out of the pocket and force them to make plays. Uh, kind of, you know, the unscripted plays and the, the improvised plays and find guys on the move. And some guys, some quarterbacks are better than that than others. But, you know, it, it the, the job of the interior pass rush is just to get guys out. And that's what they've done. And they've done it successfully all season. And, you know, and Dominican Sue is, you know, a guy that you guys know well. And so the fact that he's been as good as advertising the pass rush, I don't think is very surprising. And uh, Aaron Donald's probably, I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I'd say he's the best football player in the NFL. I don't like to describe him with like football terms. I like to describe him with like emotions and weather, you know, weather <laughs> patterns. He's, he's misty. He's a little, he's humid. I don't know. It's one of those things where you, you, you run out of words to describe him because he's just so consistently unbelievable. Uh, he really is that good. And so the, the, the thing is, and you, you guys can think about this. If, if you're the Detroit Lions, when you put your game plan together, you assume that Aaron Donald's going to be there every play. And so you got to figure out a way to try to neutralize him. And then when you look at Indomitian and soon next to him, Michael Brockers and uh, Keith Tlaib and Marcus Peters as your cornerbacks, John Johnson and LaMarcus Joyner at safety, you got to figure out a way to attack those guys and especially the linebackers. And you don't do it by allowing Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue to really blow up most of your playbook. Can I can I do the weather thing real quick? Sure. Aaron Aaron Donald is an F five tornado in a trailer park. That's fair okay. enough. <laughs> that's what he is. With and a I bunch of that's... with a bunch of paring knives in the tornado. Yes. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Exactly. And we're so looking forward to Sunday. Clearly. Yeah, I mean, here's the, here's the thing is that as good as he is, a lot of people haven't really watched him. They get, they might get a highlight and they might, you know, see this stat line and they might know the kind of player that he is. But, uh, you know, I, I would say this for Lions fans that listen to this podcast that haven't gotten to see Aaron Donald in the course of a regular game. Uh, I, I know it sucks when it's your team that he's playing against, but there is something enjoyable about seeing somebody as good at their craft as Aaron Donald is. And so I'm not sure how much solace that's going to bring, but zero. You know, okay. Well, take 0.1. He also has four career sacks against Matthew Stafford in two games for the record, but let's quickly talk about the, the Rams offense against the Lions defense before we move on to our okay. one thing we think we know. Um, I'm just going to ask you the impossible question, Joseph. If you were the Detroit Lions defense, how would you attack this this Rams offense? The best way to try to do it is just to pressure the quarterback because the the biggest problem with I'm afraid you were going to say that. I'm sorry. The big the biggest <laughs> difficulty with defending the Rams is they're incredibly well balanced. If you go back to last year, it's not as if they have one weapon. It's not like a Julio Jones led offense. It's not you know the Packers where you've got this star quarterback and a bunch of you know below average tools around him, and it's not you know like the Seattle Seahawks where you've got some weapons, but the offensive lines playing really bad the Rams have everything on offense they've got an offensive line that's been among the best if not the best in football this year which means a they're creating huge holes for Todd Gurley in the ground game and b they're giving tons of time for Jared Goff to work deep downfield um, B, they've got great weapons, uh, Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and previously Cooper Cup. He tore his ACL. He'll be out for the season, but they've got a young kid in Josh Reynolds who's come in and uh, drafted uh, not far behind him that's provided a spark himself that a lot of people are excited about seeing him get more time in Cup's absence. You've also got two tight ends in Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett who offer something, especially Everett in terms of yards after the catch. Higby's a better blocker. But you think about all those weapons and Todd Gurley as a passing target, it's just 
just too hard to defend all those guys play to play throughout an entire game, especially when you got the offensive line and the play calling of Sean McVay. It's one of those things where the best thing you can do is get pass pressure and force Jared Goff to make plays up on his own, which is not one of his strengths. He's not a Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson kind of guy that can do all that. The problem for the Rams and or I guess for the people to trying to defend against the Rams is he hasn't had to do that that much this season. And because of that, that's why they're one of the better offenses in the league. And I guess the one X factor here is Ezekiel Ansah, who is finally, finally completely off the injury report uh, for maybe the first time since he was like 22, which was like 13 years ago or so. I don't remember how old he is now. Uh, (laughs) Yes, knock on the wood. Thank you. (laughs) But uh, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how how much they decide to play him. Ezekiel Ansah still hasn't gotten a a starter's worth of snap. I, I don't think he's really started a game since week one, but he's basically the Lions pass rush unless they decide to blitz, which I know typically doesn't work out very well against the Rams trying to send blitz because Like you said, they have so many versatile weapons. Um, Ryan, any last words before we get into prediction time? Just that that was a great turn of phrase because it feels like we're on on death row. All right. scared the hell of me. I I thought that was father time knocking for Andrew Whitworth. Don't do that, man. That scared me. (laughs) All right. Let's move into our prediction, which we call one thing we think we think we know where we give out a prediction, not necessarily a score prediction. We don't necessarily really like to do those. Just a prediction on one thing we think is going to happen in this game. Ryan, why don't you show Joseph how it's done? Yeah, sure. See, Joseph, it's really easy. Um, Most oftentimes what I do is I just jump immediately to the gambling aspect of sports because at this point in the Lions season, the only thing that's fun is is watching your money get put on the line. So the Lions are at home. They are 10-point underdogs to the Los Angeles Rams. If there was a way that I could, I don't know, get like a cash advance on my chase card. No, no, Ryan, no. Also, also take my savings, my HSA, everything that's in my 401k or even my Roth IRA, and somehow find a way to accumulate all that money and put it on the Rams. I think I would. Actually, I know I would. So, like, but let's don't change do it the, at let, home. Let's change the name of the segment. Things I know I know. <laughs> take the Rams. Right. Take the Rams. Give the points away. This game is going to be at least three. Three scores. <laughs> All right, Joseph, can you say something that's a little less depressing? Sure. So he, I, I would say this. I've heard some version of that. <laughs> I've been on like multiple podcasts this year and, 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 you know, guys have ended with that, whether it was the Seahawks back in week five or uh, the Broncos, the next game or, uh, you know, the different versions of that. Oh no, this is not going to end up well. And wh- what's interesting is a lot of those games have been a lot closer than a lot of people were anticipating, but I'm not going to lie. I kind of got to agree. I got the chase card out too. Uh, <laughs> no, I get, it's one of those things where it just sets up for that. Here's what I tell you one thing in terms of a prediction. One of the things the Rams were incredibly good at last year that they're still really good at, but just haven't used it to the same quantity, even though the quality has been the same, is the screen game. And this feels like one of those games where you talk about Ezekiel Ansah and, and the lack of a pass rush without him, where uh, – 
I, I could see the Rams developing a rhythm early on and kind of forcing you guys to figure out a way to try to get pressure on the Rams and sending some extra pass rushers. And that's exactly when McVay, he's got this great feel for when teams are going to send the blitz and being able to have that screen available. And it's one of, it's one of those things where if you get a screen out to Todd Gurley and he's got two blockers in space and there's two guys, you know it's just going to work. They're just too good at it. Todd Gurley's too good in open space. I could I could see this being one of those games where the Rams get two or three really good screens. And in terms of the score discrepancy, I don't mean to be the jerk who comes on other people's podcasts and does the big score difference. So I'm not going to say the score, but I'd agree with Ryan. I'd take the Rams with the 10 points. All right. I guess I'm going to have to be the one. I guess I'm going to have to come in here and be like, well, we all counted the Lions out against Patriots. We all counted him out against the Panthers. We we pretty much counted him out against Thanksgiving, in Thanksgiving, and they almost pulled that one off. So I'm going to come here, state right now, right here. Jared Goff is going to throw for four touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm sorry. I saw that coming from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> the line secondary is so bad right now. I don't see how they win that matchup. Uh, I don't want to talk anything more about this game. So, well, you know, what? I'm going to throw it back to Joseph. Why don't you take this opportunity for if people want to, you know, experience a, a good football team, a well-coached football team, where can they read your stuff? What sort of stuff do you have over there at Turf Show Times? And yeah. where can they follow you on Twitter and all that fun stuff? Yeah, easiest way to follow us is on Turf, at Turf Show Times. You can follow me at 3K underscore, but I mostly tweet about socks and hot sauce. It's not nearly as entertaining. The bigger thing of what we do at Turf Show Times is, you know, we, we've got a lot. You see this kind of stuff around SB Nation, the kind of coverage that most team sites have, and we do a good job of, you know, quantitative analytics and film study and then, you know, the clickbaity topics that you kind of have to cover in order to run a successful blog and that stuff. I think the one thing that I would iterate, especially because you guys as Lions fans know this, is that sometimes life is hard as a football fan as a Rams fan I know, that, I know that quite well remember Jeff Fisher was only two years ago we're, we're not we're not long away from the depths of some pretty horrific football so you know I would say this man things can get better and then get better real quick so I, I would say this there's a lot of other fan bases out there that have had it better than both of our fan bases had stay strong boys stay strong <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just gonna take that as as actual care and not condescension. No, no, feel. I, I know you don't mean it that way, but we get a lot of. Oh, don't worry, guys, it, it'll get better. And we've been waiting sixty years. Uh, but regardless, Joseph, I appreciate you joining the show. Thank you for your analysis. Very insightful, depressing, but insightful. But you know, I, I'm not gonna get a depressed Rams fan in here because they they don't really exist anymore unless they're in St. Louis. You nailed it on the head. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back here, hopefully Monday morning, talking about this game. And then we'll see you next week on First Bite when we talk about the Arizona Cardinals, a team that is quite not the Los Angeles Rams. So maybe you'll enjoy that episode a little more. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. 
why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.